0: If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Romans chapter 14. So you've got a hardback copy or you've got an electronic version of the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 14. As you're turning there, let me ask you this question. Thank you, Karen. Um, over the last few years, right, we've had, just a, let's just be honest, we've had just a variety of cultural flashpoints that have been divisive. From political disagreements, disagreements about elections and fraud, to cultural issues, cultural war flashpoints, from race to education to all sorts of things. Then we had flashpoints regarding COVID, how do we respond, what about the lockdowns, what about masks, what about vaccines, And, and all of that. All of these have been issues that have been highly divisive. And my guess is most of us in some of our relationships have experienced that. So my question to you is, have some of these issues affected your friendships over the last few years? For instance, have some of these issues affected how you engaged family? You know, even like, uh, you know, even partic- particularly in the height of COVID, the family gatherings, how we thought about some of this. It was just really divisive in our extended family maybe you would say have you have you really had some friendships that have changed maybe some friendships you're not really keeping up with anymore have you unfriended or stopped following some people on social media because you know i just, I just got so tired of what they were posting and and that sort of thing <laughs> i asked that question for this reason believe it or not those experiences actually <laughs> They actually bring us back to our series entitled Love This Book, where we are going through the letters of Paul the Apostle. If you're new this morning, we're, we're doing a, kind of in the the beginning of this year, a season where we're kind of looking week by week at different letters of Paul the Apostle. And we're looking at how Paul was writing these early followers of Christ and in essence wanting to encourage, equip, train them to be shaped by the gospel in their everyday lives. And as he does that, he deals with all sorts of questions they have, conflict that they're going through, and and different realities that are part of their real-life experience. Now this morning we're coming back to the book of Romans. As we saw last week, you know, this book has a powerful description of explaining the gospel, of unpacking the reality of the sin and brokenness that is part of our life and part of this world, but also the magnitude of God's grace. Yet, as you read this book, and I think this is important, this is a fact we often overlook, even if we've been in church a while, as we read the book of Romans, we also need to understand that it is, it's written to a church in crisis, and we're going to see that this morning. And even as you may have had over the last few years relationships that have been strained or people you're no longer really connected with, right? We just had some of that, some, some relationships you're having to handle differently because of all the flashpoints that have been part of our cultural experience. Even as you have gone through that, there were people in this church that were no longer talking to one another, there is tension, there is division, there's conflict. And I think you can make the case that in a real sense, the, the entire book of Romans, as Paul is unpacking the gospel, builds to these issues that the church is facing. And he really begins to talk about in the second half of the book, and we're, we're going to look at one of those this morning. And what we begin to understand, I think, as we kind of put all this together, is in the book of Romans, Paul is not only showing us the content of the gospel, right? This is what the gospel looks like. This is what the gospel means. Paul is also showing us the culture which the gospel can create. Paul is also showing us how, in light of the gospel, people from very different backgrounds, even with different beliefs on certain issues, how they can come together as one. And what we're going to see is Paul is addressing a particular issue in the Corinthian church. And as he addresses this issue, this is, this is how he prays for this church. You heard, you heard this section a moment ago in, in our corporate prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you all of you, the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I realize, uh, you know, we can say that's a kind of a, an amazing vision, isn't it? Right? It's a, it, and In a lot of church context, let's be honest, that feels very aspirational. Right, that we could be of one mind. Wow. Just think about what that would mean in our community if Hershey Free Church was known as a place where, you know, they just, they just love each other. I don't know what's going on over there. There are different people, different backgrounds, different age groups, different generations, but they really are for one another. That's that's how Paul is praying for this church, this divided church, this church where people can't talk to one another. That's how he's praying in Rome. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to join me in just praying this for our church. But before we do that, let's just kind of unpack. Let's look at what was actually happening in the church in Rome. And we begin to understand the, the problem, the tension at the beginning of Romans chapter 14. So follow along. This is is the opening part of Romans chapter 14. Paul says, Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak can eat only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And I think the idea there is God has accepted them both. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, interestingly, we come to Romans 14 and 15, and Paul starts using a couple of different terms to describe different people in the church. He talks about those who are weak, and here it's weak in faith, and then later he will, in essence, address the strong. Now, who are these different groups, and what's the difference between them? Well, as we read through the passage, it becomes clear that the distinction, or one of the major distinctions between these groups, is the whole issue of food, it's the issue of menu. Now, most likely, those who were weak were Christians who were coming out of a Jewish background. These were people who had grown up with Jewish traditions, Jewish food laws. They had been committed to a kosher diet. And as a result, they were now cautious about eating certain types of food, including meat. And that's why he refers to those who eat only vegetables. On the other hand, they're the strong. These people had no scruples, right, about eating anything most likely most of these people had come from a gentile background right food hey let's just you know let's just go hang out at shady maple right let's eat everything and more meat the merrier right and and so there is tension between these two groups and when Paul talks about being weak in faith, I think the idea isn't, it's not so much, well, you don't have as much faith as the other group. or you're, The idea is they, they are weak in the sense that their convictions don't allow as much latitude in terms of what they are able to do, particularly in relation to diet. So we've got these two groups of people. They're approaching food very differently, and it's, it's created disagreement. But notice, it's not only, well, we have some people who think this and some people who think that. Notice how antagonistic it has become. Uh, because Paul says this. He is implying that, that the strong have contempt for the weak. That is, it's not simply we disagree, it's we are looking down on these people. Likewise, he implies notice, and the one who does not eat anything must not judge. He's implying that the weak are looking to the strong with a kind of a, a sense of judgmentalism. Right? We, we have the history, we have the her- heritage, we've been God's people, you guys are just add ons. So there's a sense of judgmentalism. Now, even as you see these terms strong and weak, I I think there actually may be a historical dimension to that language, and by that I mean this. Interestingly, the Emperor Claudius at one point kicks out all the Jews from Rome. Now, most likely the earliest Christians in Rome were Jews. Jews who become followers of Jesus. And they're all kicked out of Rome. The church starts, these Jews become Christians, but then the Jews are kicked out. And we see reference to this actually in Acts chapter 18 in reference to Aquila and Priscilla who are kicked out of Rome. But then we get a new emperor, we get Nero, and Nero allows that order to just expire. And so Jews, including Jewish Christians, are allowed to come back to Rome. And so these Jewish Christians come back, and and guess what? The church that they had known is now different. It's now predominantly Gentile. Furthermore, in coming back, there's a real sense in which these people come back, but they, there's a social stigma now attached to them because of all that's happened. They are weak in terms of social status. And so we have this, this situation where these people who come back, you know, they were once kind of the minor, majority, now the minority. Uh, They're being locked down on by the the Gentile Christians and they look across the aisle and they see these Gentiles eating everything and they've got a sense of judgmentalism and the result is there's now tension. There's contempt. There's judgment. There's isolation. And the idea here is they're just not getting along. I mean, when Paul talks about accepting one another, and that's a phrase he uses a couple of times in this section, it, it it includes the idea of showing hospitality, of of sitting at the same table together. And I think the point is you guys have just allowed yourself to you're not talking to one another anymore. You've allowed yourself to be pulled apart. Now I think it would be natural <laughs> at some point in as they're reading this letter, right? I mean, because you know, it's like we're just not getting along with one another. It would be natural. It would be natural to say, Paul, why should we take you seriously? Right? Because the division has started to take root, and it's not just we disagree. It's now we look at these people differently. Paul, why should we, why should we pay attention to what you're saying? Why address this? And as the passage continues, I think Paul is responding to that potential question. The first thing he really highlights is this, look, you you need to deal with this because you all belong to God. I know you disagree. I know you're coming out at different places on this issue of food, but don't forget, you all belong to God. Look at how the passage continues. Who are you to address someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall, and they will stand for the... and. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Look what he's saying. Look, he's saying, look, I know you disagree on the food thing. And obviously there was also some disagreement even in terms of, of kind of calendar issues. And again, this may refer to Jewish religious festivals that were still being observed by some of the church. And he says, but look, whatever you do, you need to, you do that to the Lord. You, you need to understand, yeah, you disagree on some of this stuff, but you all belong to God. And not only, not only do you belong to God, you are all accountable to God, right? And I mean, he continues. Look at uh, verses 10 and following. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? Now notice this is, this is masterful here. Because notice, he goes after both sides. Do you see that? He goes after the, both sides. To the weak who have been judging the strong, because, you know, we're, we're God's chosen people. You guys have come in late. We're the original. And they're looking at those people with a sense of judgment. To those people, Peter says, Why do you judge your brother?" And then to the strong, right, who are kind of looking down their nose, you know, what is wrong with you? Fundamentalists, or conservatives. Man, what's wrong with you? He says, or why do you treat them with contempt? So he addresses both groups of people. He calls both sides of this debate out. And then he says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then... Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And it's like he's looking at these people and saying, Don't you realize it? In this, 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 in this tit for tat, in this debate that you have started, you have put yourself in God's role of judging the other. Don't you realize one day we're all going to appear before God? So keep that in mind. You have not been called to be God's judge and jury. He's got that under control just fine. And so Paul, he looks at these two groups, right? He looks at the weak, he looks at the strong. Look, and he's like, hey, folks, look what happened here. This this isn't right. You've got to accept one another. You've got to come together. You've got to realize that even in your disagreement, you all belong to God. And you need to realize, ultimately, all of you will appear before God. So then the question becomes, how do we do this? Right? How do we do this? I mean, how... How were these people who approached certain things differently to actually come together as one? And what about us? <laughs> right? What about those things where at times we disagree? How, how are we to come together as one? Let, let me just highlight a couple of things that I think Paul says in this passage to to really help us answer this question. I think really the first key to doing this is the fact that there's something we need to recognize. And simply put, it's this. We need to recognize that not every issue is a hill to die on. Not Every issue is a hill to die on. Now, here's, here's how we get that from Paul's letters. Notice the contrast. Let me just show you a contrast. First of all, notice a phrase that Paul used earlier in this passage, right? Romans 14.1. He talks about disputable matters. That is, he talks, he's talking about areas where... Christians can disagree, where we don't necessarily come out at the same place working through a particular issue, and that's what he sees here. Look, the the weak, here's where they're coming out in terms of food, here's the strong, here's where they're coming out. They're at different places. These are disputable matters. But elsewhere, in another letter, Paul is talking about the gospel and the key the key elements in the storyline of what Christ has done for us. And there, he talks about that. <laughs> and when he talks about that, it's, these are matters of first importance. Do you, hear the dis- do you hear the difference? I think it becomes clear in, in these passages that, that Paul, in essence, is saying, you know, there's some things that are absolutely foundational. And we need to understand that. Things that we can't compromise on. But there are other things where as believers in Christ, we we may come down at different places, and there's just going to be room for disagreement. And what that means, the big takeaway, I think, from Romans 14 and 15, among others, is, hey, not every hill is a hill to die on. Now, in thinking about this, let, let me just tell you maybe just a simple framework. And I realize this is very basic, very simple, and it raises a lot of questions, but I just want to share it with you. Let me just share a simple framework that I find helpful in kind of understanding this principle that not every hill is a hill to die on. I, I like to think in terms of three categories. First of all, there really are those issues that you might call essential to the faith. Now, what do I mean here? Um, well, I think that these are uh, these are areas where Paul and the New Testament clearly understand. These are foundational. If you compromise on these, you are at risk of compromising Christianity. We can think of certain things like uh, how we view Scripture. Our view of God, how we understand the work of Christ and the work of the gospel, to help you think about those things that are really essential, I, I would, I would, as a church, just refer you to our statement of faith. I hope you've read that at some point. If you haven't, you can find that on our website. Just go under the About Us tabs, and when you click under About Us, you can find our statement of faith. It's not that long. Actually, it's less than a page and a half. Under 700 words, but it's like, hey, these are the things we want to highlight. These are the things we believe are truly essential as followers of Jesus Christ that are foundational. Likewise, and encouraging you to go to the website, let me also say this. I think for some of you, maybe a next step is the process of membership, of actually identifying with our church. And our next membership classes are coming up. It's a two-night event on March 8th and 15th. Rose and I, my wife and I are actually hosting that and we'll be leading that. And one of the things we do in that in that time together over those two nights is just is, is work through, just talk, briefly talk through our doctrinal statement just to highlight those things. Here's what we believe as a church family, as a church community, are really foundational, are really important. These are the hills we want to die on. <laughs> but secondly, I would say, an, another category are, are, are views that are important, but often important, to how we order church and how we think about church and here here i put in maybe the issues and ideas that Often distinguish different denominations are different churches, right? This is why we have, there's certain issues that explain why we really have different denominations in, in different churches. Last weekend, Rose and I were in New York City visiting some friends, and we were at a church of a very different denomination. It has different church order, different structure, different kind of leadership, and, and so it was, I mean, it was... It was an encouraging service. It was deeply rooted in scripture, but the, the, the their approach to church is different than ours. And there are certain issues, church order issues, how you structure church leadership, how you think about baptism, these kinds of things that are important. And often these become issues that distinguish different churches or different church movements and denominations. And then third, I would maybe use the category of issues of personal conviction and these these are the issues that i think paul is really getting at when he talks about disputable matters. They don't necessarily, they don't have to separate churches, but these can be places where even in a given church people have different views and different approaches. You know, obviously the issue that is being dealt with here is the issue of food and how to approach food. I mean, maybe some contemporary issues and lifestyle issues where I think people in churches can have disagreement or, uh, today or issues like alcohol or how we engage politics or how do, we, how do we decide about where our kids are going to school? How do you spend your free time, use of technology? Those are some of the areas where we can have disagreement and approach things differently. And I would argue Paul says, look, there's just going to be some places where Christians are going to disagree. And having said that, let me me highlight two potential dangers that we need to be aware of. I think the first danger is just, it's arguing that, you know what, everything is essential. And in some groups you get that. I was in a meeting two weeks ago with people from other parts of the country and talking to friends from another part of the country. They were talking about a denomination in their region of the country And the reality is this if you're in that denomination, you will have nothing to do with Christians outside that denomination. And they told me even a story of how a pastor in that denomination was unwilling to pray with other Christians because they didn't line up on every particular issue. And so, one of the dangers I think we need to acknowledge is we need, you know, presuming. Everything is essential. And at a practical level, here's, here's kind of how that danger can play out. It can play out in, you know what, I want to be a part of a church where everybody thinks like I do on every issue. And the truth is, that's the way some people operate. And at times, they will keep searching for that church because, you know, I need need a church that aligns on all these different issues. I want to be in a place where everybody agrees with me on everything. Even on those things that Paul would argue are areas of personal conviction. And I realize you may think that way, but can I challenge you? That's not the biblical vision of church. In fact, one of the most interesting things about this passage is this. Now, clearly, you read part of the passage, and it kind of feels like Paul is just standing in the middle and he's talking to both sides, right? We just saw that. But you also need to understand, in this passage, Paul takes a particular position. Paul clearly aligns with the strong. He says, I am thoroughly convinced under Jesus Christ that all food is clean. So we know where he's coming from. But he doesn't use his apostolic authority to say, therefore, all of you who are weak, you've got to come over here. You've got to agree with me. You're wrong. Come on, everybody, everybody do this part of the table. No, he uses his apostolic authority to say, hey, folks, we've got to learn how to accept one another, even when we disagree on things like this. And so Paul is in essence, arguing we are not going to be on the same page on everything. So to embrace this kind of unity that Paul is talking about, I think we've got to understand it's wrong to say everything is essential. But there's a second danger and that is, well, if, you know, if, if, if there's some areas where there's room for disagreement, then let's just say everything is acceptable. You know as, long as, you know, as long as you are sincere in what you believe, it really doesn't matter what you believe. And at times we get that kind of message in our broader culture. But Paul clearly is not saying that. I mean, you read Paul's letters, and it's absolutely clear that on issues related to the gospel and the storyline of what God is doing, it's like there's, there's no room for disagreement. Paul says, if you move away from certain things, you're actually moving away from the gospel into a false gospel. So when it comes to the foundational truths of the gospel and the biblical storyline, there is no room for compromise. But he says, look, on these other issues, there is. Now, having said that, I realize I've just raised a lot of questions in your mind. For instance, one of, the, one of the appropriate questions is, uh, it's great you've got those different categories, right? But how do you know what goes in, in each category? And that, That's a longer conversation, and I'd, be glad, I'd really be glad to have that with you if you ever want to sit down and do that. Otherwise, if you would like to read a little bit further on this kind of topic, let me just kind of highlight this book by Gavin Ortlund, Finding the Right Hills to Die On subtitled The Case for Theological Triage. And so I think it's important, if if we're going to learn to understand and embrace the unity that Paul is talking about, that, you know, there's some things that are absolutely foundational, but there are other things where there's going to be room for disagreement. And I need to acknowledge that. A second thing that I think becomes clear in this passage is this. Don't be an obstacle to the growth of others. Don't be an obstacle to the growth of others. The passage continues in Romans 14. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now notice this. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And here's where he says, you know, I'm fully persuaded. I, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, I am convinced that nothing is unclean in itself, right? Now, there's my position. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you ate, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, just hear this carefully, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Did you hear that? I I don't... He says, look, in the midst of your disagreement, don't, don't put a stumbling block, don't put an obstacle in the way of another, lest you destroy the work of God in their lives. Now, I think in this context, you know, what, what did that look like? Well, I think, like, for the strong, what did that look like? I mean, yay, come on, let's, we get together and, you now, just pass the meat. Huh? Oh, this is so good, man. Mm. I can't believe you don't like this. Oh, my goodness, this steak is delicious. Why are you so silly not to enjoy stuff like that? Can you pass the steak sauce, right? Rubbing it in that that you're coming from a different perspective. That's undoubtedly what was kind of going on in this church and it led to dissension and disagreement. And Paul says, look, you are putting an obstacle in the way of another. You You are destroying God's work in their lives. So just think for a moment how we can do that sometimes. I think one, one classic way we can kind of become the stumbling block or put a stumbling block in the life of another is just how we talk about people we disagree with, the groups of people we disagree with. Right? Something political comes up, and the way I talk about people who hold a different view, the way I talk about people or leaders in another political party that is just uh, derisive and divisive, How we judge the motivation of people who disagree with us. Sometimes I think in terms of how we think, you know, it it appears sometimes in, in church life and culture that different generations are thinking differently on certain issues and just how maybe we can just have a disdain for people that aren't of our generation in terms of how we interact. and Those things can become stumbling blocks. If I communicate kind of the idea that, you know, if you're really going to be a good Christian, you need to think about these things the way I do. That becomes a stumbling block. I think another way we become stumbling blocks, another way we put a stumbling block in the life of another is just, you know, just refusing to listen. Certain things come up in conversation, and we just kind of grabbed hold of the conversation to go after it. But we're not really listening. I think for some of us who are parents, this this is... I've talked about this before. It's something I'm learning in my own life now is we parent adult kids that sometimes we just struggle to listen. And that can be hard because for some of us as parents, our kids are asking questions we weren't asking when when we were younger. Our kids are dealing with certain issues that maybe weren't a part of our experience when we were in that age group questions about sexuality issues of mental health and sometimes we just don't engage that well we're not willing to listen i think another way we put a stumbling block in the life of another is over time when i look at this person all i see is the areas where we disagree have you had that happen? You know, maybe you have some conversation or they say something that sets you off a little bit. And kind of from that point on, it's like whenever I see that person, that's the first thing that comes to mind. That kind of becomes the way I define them is the, that, that place or those places where we disagree. And again, it's interesting, as, as Paul is talking about this, he says, hey, remember this. Remember the nature, right, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's like in the midst of getting so focused on this issue where you disagree, you kind of lost sight of what God is doing and the nature and reality of his kingdom work. So don't put a stumbling block in the life of another. Third, not only do we recognize that not every hill is a hill to die on, Not only do we understand the danger of putting stumbling blocks in the lives of other people, but I think Paul also says this. Exercise your convictions to build others up, not to tear them down. Notice what he says as the passage continues. Let us therefore make every effort. right? Make every effort. Now notice this. To do what leads to peace and mutual edification, or building up, or development of the other. I want you to work towards peace and building up the other. Do not destroy the work of God. There's that phrase again. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So Paul says, look, it, this isn't simply about avoiding things that get in the way of your brother or sister in Christ. But how can you, how can you build in? <laughs> how can you work for peace? How can you work for the development and growth of the community? Again, I think an important part of this is, is being willing to listen. Listen. I mean, and, and, you know, maybe it's, like it's, it's a moment in a, my Live Love Lead group and some kind of cultural thing comes up and somebody says something that, man, I don't agree with. Or Do I just try to win the debate? Or do I, kind of, hey, explain to me. Help me understand where you're coming from. I want to learn. If, I think if you, would, if you would like to see what these kinds of conversations can look like, let me recommend a resource. There's a Christian organization known as the Gospel Coalition, and they are now producing a series of podcasts called Good Faith Debates. You can find that at goodfaithdebates.com. And these are Christian leaders who are talking about kind of some of these disputable matters in our culture, and they're, they're coming at it from different angles, even though both of the individuals in each podcast are deeply committed followers of Jesus, but they're having conversations about it. For instance, their most recent podcast has been on the issue of school choice. They've done ones on, you know, how, how can we be pro-life? Or how do we deal with racial injustice? What should we think about wokeness? They're also going to be adding to it uh, others, including issues like climate change, technology, and racial reconciliation. But it's how do we, you know, as Christians committed to the gospel, how do we, how do we talk through these hard issues so in seeking to build others up maybe a a question that I have to come back to is can I listen to learn rather than simply talk to win because in some conversations I I just want to talk to win but I'm not listening so can I listen to learn not simply talk to win Can I remember, even in the midst of, wow, we're just approaching this differently, can I remember in the midst of that that I need to be for you? And can I be open to what that looks like? With that in mind, let me just kind of bring this full circle to what we've been doing this morning. And let me ask you this question. Is there someone you need to have a conversation with right now? Is there some relationship where you haven't done a good job of listening? Maybe some relationship where the way you've handled an area of disagreement, you, you just put a stumbling block in someone else's path. And it's interesting in this passage, Paul isn't—he he expands kind of the, the the range of responsibility in chapter fifteen because it's not simply we need to learn to be. For other people in the church, it's we need to learn to be for our neighbors, for our community. And these skills are important in that, in that area as well. So is there, is there just some, somebody you need to have a conversation with? Because you really haven't embodied what Paul is expressing in Romans 14 and 15. If that's, if that's the case, let me just encourage you. You, you need to do that. You need to make that connection. You need to acknowledge even before God, maybe even this morning, hey, I just I have not handled this relationship well. And maybe your takeaway this morning needs to be just to come before God and say, Father, give me your grace and strength to live out what Paul is describing here. Because here's a relationship where I haven't been for mutual upbuilding and I haven't been for peace. It's been all about winning and I haven't been listening. And, and even as you think about that individually I want to come back to that prayer that really is where Paul builds to in this passage, right? He, he answers our questions and that, that all builds to this prayer once again in Romans 15. 15. Verses 5 and 6. And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask us to, to just spend just a couple of minutes praying through this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You hear what he's saying? He said, look, I want you to have the mind of Christ that Christ has for you. I want you to look at other people through the eyes of Christ. And even though you don't always agree there are going to be some things where you're not on the same page, I want you to keep in mind that you've been brought together by the same Lord, you've been brought together by the same gospel, and you're moving in the same direction. So here's what I'd like to do. If if you're kind of sitting by yourself, that's fine. You can just pray quietly for a little bit, but if you're around people, I just ask us to kind of get in smaller groups, uh, maybe three to four, if that works. And I realize this, is, this can feel a little awkward. Maybe you're new to the church or that sort of thing. You don't have to, you don't have to pray out loud. But if, if, in each of our groups, maybe one or two people, could just pray for us as a church family. Could just pray that, Father, we want to have this kind of unity that Paul is describing in the book of Romans. So can we do that now? Can we just kind of move, just move a little bit around you? And I'm just going to give you a moment to pray. If one or two could just lead out in prayer, they don't have to be long, but let's just pray for the unity that Paul is describing here. So, Father, as we, as we read the story of this early church that was divided over, over these kinds of issues, I pray that you would instill with us just the vision of the unity that the gospel can create. A unity of shared identity, of shared purpose, of shared mission. And even though at times there are going to be some things we disagree on, some areas of life that we simply approach differently, I pray in the midst of that we would not lose sight of all that we have in common so that we as a church would reflect the mind of Christ. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for being part of this service. I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be available up front. If there are ways we can pray with you, even, even about some of what we talked about this morning, we would love to do that, to encourage you, and to stand with you in prayer. We would like to do that. And now as we go, may we be people, who are not simply committed to the content of the gospel, but may we also be people who seek to foster the kind of culture that the gospel itself creates. Amen.